Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I am your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we're diving into success on Amazon and Google Shopping. We'll touch on a few other marketplaces and even Facebook just a little bit. And going to be talking about how getting the right feed, the right product feed, can make all the difference on those platforms. You're going to walk away with some good tips and ideas uh, to have a rock star feed uh, so you can dominate those channels. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. Hey, that's my company. Uh, OMG Commerce is the primary underwriter of the e-commerce evolution podcast, and we're excited to do that, excited to bring this content to you. A quick offer from OMG Commerce. We are a Google Premier Partner. So we're in the top 3% of all Google partners, one of the fastest growing in the world last year. Uh, if you would like a second set of eyes on your Google campaigns, whether that's Google Shopping, Search, YouTube, Remarketing, or the like, we would love to talk to you. Love to schedule a strategy session. Love to look at your campaigns and provide ideas for improvement. Also, Amazon. We would love to talk to you about your Amazon ad strategy and have an Amazon audit for you, uh, complimentary for listeners of the e-commerce evolution podcast. Our Amazon department is led by Mr. Chris Tyler to find out more about the way we approach Amazon campaigns. Go back and check out episode 39 as we do a deep dive and look at Amazon advertising. But we would love to help you with either of those traffic sources. And so if you're interested, go to omgcommerce.com, click on any of the services, and there's a quick form to fill out right there. And now back to the show. My guest today is somebody that, that I've, I've known of for a long time, known of his company. He and I, though, really connected at IRCE in Chicago here recently. And so as we were talking and uh, nerding out together on good feed ideas and tactics, we thought, man, we got to bring this to the masses. We got to get, get on the podcast. So, so my guest, I am delighted to welcome onto the show Mr. Brian Roizen. He is the co-founder and chief architect at Feedonomics. So Brian, welcome to the show and how's it going? It's going pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really excited to do this. Excited uh, to kind of dive into this topic, which really can, can greatly influence our listeners' success on, on Amazon and Facebook even and Google Shopping and several of the marketplaces. And so excited to kind of dive in to the, uh, the good stuff here. Before we, we dig too deep into that, though, would love to give people a little bit of your background. So what did you do prior to Feedonomics and, and how did you get to the place where you and, and your, your brother and the CEO, you guys started uh, a company called Feedonomics focusing on good product feeds? We actually had quite an interesting journey to, to get into creating a, a SaaS platform for product feed management. Uh, we actually started at an advertising agency, uh, interestingly enough, where we were managing um, about 55 e-commerce clients, everything from relatively small mom and pop type shops to a few publicly traded companies that had millions and millions of, of product SKUs. And we basically were in charge of, of managing all of their product data and syndicating it to channels like at the time Frugal and Google Shopping channels. Uh, that um, were pretty common then uh, also included Shopzilla, Nextag, some of the more common price comparison channels. 
And we were managing all their feeds using legacy platforms that existed at the time and funnily enough still exist today. Um, and we saw a lot of issues with managing those products where um, they couldn't really handle more than 50,000 SKUs, which didn't work very well when we had some clients that had millions of SKUs. Um, we also couldn't get the level of granularity and optimization that we wanted with the product data, being able to insert brands only into the titles that lacked it and doing some of the more advanced things that we wanted to be able to do to massage the data into the optimal format. And so what we realized was if nothing else is out there, we can probably make something that's significantly better than anything else that exists. And that's kind of what started us on our journey. So we, we left the agency and of course we had an amazing first client, uh, which was that agency, nice. a great test bed for, for creating a really awesome feed management company. Very cool. Very cool. Well, well, glad you did that. And, and that, you know, seems to be a, a typical journey for a lot of people where they're, they're confronted with a problem. Uh, there's no good solution. And so you go build one kind of that, you know, scratching your own itch uh, type of thing, or just meeting a need that's staring you in the face and, and building a successful company based on that. So kudos to you guys for making that happen. And uh, so let's dive into this topic here. And this, this is a topic I'm passionate about too. So I'll definitely chime in with some of my thoughts as, as we go. But, but why, why does this matter? Like why focus on building a really good feed? Why not just go with whatever, you know, we can pull from our Shopify or Magento site or why, why spend the time and the energy, you, you know, looking at a tool like Feedonomics, you know, wh why a good feed? Yeah, that's, that's sort of the, uh, the seminal question, why do it at all? And the answer is actually pretty simple. Um, if you try going into Shopify or Magento and try just pulling a feed out, what you'll notice almost right away is that the product data is often very, very terse and short. Um, so if you're selling shoes, let's say Nike shoes, you're not necessarily going to have the word Nike in all of your product titles. Because the way that you want your products to appear on the landing page may be short. You may want short and modern titles, but the way that users search for those products on channels like Google and Amazon is very similar. Um, when users are in that research phase, they might be searching something very general. Like let's say they're looking for those running shoes, right? And they don't necessarily know, do they want Nikes? They want Adidas? But the further down in that research funnel they go, they start to realize I want this Nike Air Max uh, 2018 pair of running shoes. I know my I know my size. I know I want the color blue. So their search term is going to change from something very generic from running shoes or Nike running shoes, if that's their brand, to something very, very specific, something like Nike Air Max 2018 uh, blue running shoes, size 10. And as soon as they add those more descriptive elements, that's very, very indicative that they're farther down in that research funnel and they're more likely to purchase that product. And that's when it's the ideal time to hit them as a retailer because they're far more likely to buy that product at that time. Now, going back to the question, why do this at all? The way that product data usually is on websites isn't necessarily the same way that users are going to search for it on Google or Amazon. So if your product title is just the word Air Max 2018, and someone is searching for uh, Nike Air Max 2018 running shoes size uh, 10 in blue, 
there are a lot of words that are not in your product title. And at a very high level, Google's algorithm, without delving into all the machine learning and fun artificial intelligence that they have, it's really composed of two primary things. One is search relevancy, which is how close are your product data and attributes to the user's search term. And the second one is uh, how, how are you bidding relative to the competition who's also relevant uh, for their products? So those are the two factors. And what's kind of interesting is if you're missing most of those keywords that someone searched for, in Google's eyes, you're not very relevant. So how are you going to show up at all? Either you have to overbid or you simply don't show up at all. So those are the sort of two options you have. And the two things that are under your control are your product data as well as similarly your, oh, your bid. Uh, sorry, I think my Google Home literally just went on. <laughs> That's I'm great. going to unplug that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Give no me worries. one sec. That's I'll awesome. be right back. All right. I must have said, okay, Google, or hey, Google. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that with my uh, Echo device a few times uh, as well. So easy to do. Um, so I want to piggyback on, on a few things you said there. You know, really the, the feed is, it's the foundation, right? So if you're looking at Google Shopping as an example, the feed is what builds that ad, that product listing ad for the you know blue Nike Air Max or uh, actually went to the Nike store in Chicago when we were at IRCE and there's like this wall of Jordan shoes. It was like this like the mecca of uh, Air Jordan stuff. So my son and I both went and it was amazing. So if I'm looking for the size 13, that's what I wear. Uh, Air Jordans, you know, vintage. I like the fours myself. Um, you, you know, what populates those ads that I would see in the Google shopping results that's the feed, right? The feed is what populates that ad. Uh, the feed is the foundation of your listing on Amazon, unless you're building that listing by hand. And so, so getting the feed right is critical. And, and you hit the nail on the head. If you don't have an optimized feed, then you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. So you're going to have to bid more for Google Shopping. You're going to be kind of behind others on, on Amazon. And so, uh, it just it's the foundation if you don't get it right everything else is going to be much much harder so so make sure your feed is in order right just cut into the chase make sure it's in order yeah um let's let's kind of look at some some top feed mistakes so you you look at feeds all the time even more than i do what what are some of the top feed mistakes that you see great question i think at a high level one of the most common ones is a set it and forget it approach so oftentimes feeds are set up once and never really looked at again. Um, the guy who originally set it up might have left the company. No one knows how to access it. No one even checks up on Google Merchant Center or Google Manufacturer Center or on Seller Central on Amazon. And what's kind of interesting is um, the same way that you wouldn't necessarily want a set it and forget it approach for bids. Like it's, it's almost comical if someone tells you, oh, yeah, we set up our bids once two years ago. Like, that's crazy, right? Because things change over time. The landscape becomes more competitive. You might have added new products. And as those new products come in, a lot of their data is going to be different. So if you add new products that were in categories you didn't sell before, you might have uncategorized products that you're sending to Google Shopping. And you wouldn't necessarily be aware of it unless you stay on top of your feeds. Um, on Amazon, what we see time and time again is as new products come in, because they don't get categorized, they get automatically uh, disapproved inside of Seller Central, meaning you've literally added these new products, but you can't even advertise or you can't even list them properly on Amazon, meaning you can't sell them. 
which is a problem in many different spaces, particularly in the apparel and fashion space where your products rotate every couple of months. And as issues come up and, and they sort of linger in your Google Merchant Center, you know, sort of uncaught, they can cause massive issues where you're just not able to advertise on your full catalog of products. Um, so what we've actually done is we used to manually check Google Merchant Centers, Amazon Seller Centrals for all of these kinds of issues all the time. But what happens on nights and weekends, these sort of intermittent things that might happen that preclude some of your products from being advertised on. So we realized that was a pretty big issue. And what we did to solve it is we automated a lot of those checks. So we, we currently built this technology that we call feed alerts that can check your Google Merchant Center or your Amazon Seller Central twice a day. And we immediately send an alert off to our team who's able to resolve some of those issues for you. Um, but those are probably some of the most common mistakes I've seen just with feeds in general with a set it and forget it approach, um, because you can easily result in disapprovals or suspensions that can cause you to lose thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars in revenue per day. And especially over, you know, the holiday season is coming up. I know it's <laughs> just the beginning of July. So maybe you got to be, got to be preparing the no, no, it's never too early to talk about holiday. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, people are making their plans or, or should be making their plans right now. You know, as we record this, it's July. Uh, by the time it's, you know, it's live, it'll be even closer to to holiday. So n- never too early. Definitely. And, and what might happen that we've seen a lot of times, and these are the most critical days like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, um, or just the entire, you know, Q4. But uh, what we see is that Oftentimes, errors can result in massive disapprovals because when you update your pricing, maybe it might be for 50% of your products on Cyber Monday because you have an amazing sale going on, it might trigger Google to have to recrawl a lot of those pages, which can result in disapprovals for price mismatches. So if those aren't resolved almost immediately, your availability mismatches uh, potentially too, where something says in stock in your feed and out of stock on the site or something like that. Yep. And if you're only sending your feed off once per day to Google, that's obviously going to be problematic because if you miss that window, then all of your prices are going to be out of sync. So that's another common one. We definitely recommend doing much more frequent item updates for availability and pricing. Those are really key. Yeah, and what's interesting, and we've noticed this too. Like, I'll, I'll give you kind of an extreme, and then and then you know we can talk about some of the more common, which you've already addressed a few of them. But you know, thinking that your feed, if you set it up properly, that it's just going to run smoothly with without ever looking at it again, is just silly. Like we we've seen on the extreme side. We had a client selling dog food online that was disapproved. A lot of their dog food products were disapproved for a weapons violation. Uh, no idea why. That kind of stuff is, is super rare. Like, you know, a couple times has that ever happened. But but weird things can happen, right? Or, or what's more common is what you were talking about, where maybe the, the crawl, when Google crawls your site and when the feed is updated, is just a little bit off. And so Google sees a price mismatch or an availability mismatch. Um, and so you need to, you know, which can lead to item disapprovals. We've also noticed a decent number of our clients have image issues where the pictures don't meet the resolution requirements that Google has. And so they'll kind of give you a warning on that. And if you don't take actions, that can lead to pretty large disapprovals, right? So uh, kind of at a minimum, you're going to be missing some of your key products and your key products are not going to be visible or shoppable online. Um, and uh, kind of the worst case, you may you know have your whole feed down for, for a, bit, uh, a period of time. 
Um, other other feed mistakes that that you see. So so the set it and forget it, big one. Other feed mistakes that you want to call out? Yeah, um, I would say some of the common ones uh, are just lack of title optimization. And this sometimes is because you see merchants sending feeds from Shopify or Big Commerce or Magento directly through to Google Merchant Center without having the ability to actually see the data in its raw form. And those are the kinds of cases where you see um, things like double repeated brands like Nike, Nike, or you see very important attributes and nouns like color, size, or even the descriptive product nouns that are just completely missing. And so these are really critical because the way that users search for these products on Google or literally any channel is going to be the same way you want to want you want to structure your product data itself, especially your title. Um, title is one that you'll probably hear us talk a lot about, but from what we've seen, that can account for most of your relevancy that, that Google ascribes from your feed. So title is definitely one that we've seen that has some of the most weight, but oftentimes has some of the least amount of actual work done on it on a recurring basis as well. Um, because one of the cool things you can do is you can A-B test different product titles. For example, with that Nike pair of shoes, what if it's a pair of running shoes? What if it's a pair of basketball sneakers or Keds? You might want to try the different nouns out to see, can you get a lift out of using different noun variations? And seeing if that results in better return on ad spend, a lower cost per acquisition, or any other performance data like click-through rate or something along those lines. But there are a lot of interesting opportunities that sort of are overlooked oftentimes when it relates to title and, and feed errors more generally. Yeah, I think the way you have to look at your title is, is will I have a chance to sell my product or not? Will I be visible to prospects or not? And a lot of that hinges on your title. A lot of that is dependent on whether you have a properly structured, properly optimized title. So really can't can't overstate that enough. Let's let's shift gears just a little bit and and I want to talk about something that, that potentially not a lot of people on the the list of the podcast have, have looked at before. And that's Google Manufacturer Center. So this this will apply to you know, brands and companies that, that manufacture their own goods or, you know, they, they've got their own brand. But talk about Manufacturer Center, some of the benefits and, and why uh, merchants should take control of Google Merchant Center. Google uh, Manufacturer Center is a really, really interesting one. Um, it wasn't always available. It's still relatively new. And um, the reason we've kind of seen a shift to it is because it gives you an unparalleled access, not just into some analytics across everyone who's selling your products like resellers and wholesalers, but it also gives you complete and unfettered control over your product data. So sometimes when Google shows the results, uh, normally when you do a search for like Nike running shoes, they'll sort of have it front and center, but other times Google will ascertain that this is an individual product and they'll show the results in what they call the knowledge panel on the right-hand side. And what's interesting is there's usually only one title when they show the knowledge panel. And you might be wondering, well, where are they getting that uh, title from? Or when you click on the shopping tab, it's the exact same title. Where are they getting that title from? And it turns out it's actually from the manufacturer who is taking control or the brand owner who is taking control over their Google Manufacturer Center. So they're able to basically choose not just the title, but also the description, the features, the specifications 
as well as the actual image links uh, that show up once when Google groups all of those merchants together in the knowledge panel results. So it's incredibly powerful because unlike with regular Google Shopping results, where there might be five or six merchants selling the exact same or similar product, you get to dictate the only title that appears under that grouping. So it gives you a lot more control over that aspect of it. And the other one is Google Manufacturer Center actually gives you some very interesting analytics um, across all of your different resellers and wholesalers that you wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise. Um, and this is like one of the most interesting things because usually Google doesn't give you information about bidding. Google AdWords is kind of like the, the world's largest silent auction. Right. Um, they'll tell you some data about you know the bids, but if you're the manufacturer, they'll give you way more information about all of your different resellers or wholesalers, who is actually selling your products. Because you may have certain merchants that you don't want to be able to sell your products. And it gives you access to disapprove or reject some of them there. And you also get some very interesting analytics into average bids for your products, as well as just more than that you would get from the standard AdWords interface. And um, we've actually seen, um, Google has published some very, very compelling case studies, particularly with uh, Johnson & Johnson, where they saw basically a 20% lift um, in their return on ad spend and an appropriate and uh, commensurate drop in their CPA, their cost per acquisition. So we've seen from case studies that we've done internally, as well as just the Google authorized ones, a really nice performance lift to doing Google Manufacturer Center when you are, in fact, the brand owner or the manufacturer of the products. Yeah, I think this is absolutely critical. If you are the manufacturer, if you're the brand and other people online are selling your products, which can be a great strategy. But if that's the case, you need to take control of your products and your titles and the way this is shown and get that data. Uh, so super powerful, takes just a little bit of time to set up, but highly, highly recommend it. Um, kind of in a, in a similar vein, on, on the Amazon side of the equation, talk a little bit about brand registry. Why why go through that process and how does that relate to feeds? Yeah, that's, that's a great one that's really closely tied and similar to Google Manufacturer Center. So the Amazon brand registry is pretty much the equivalent of Amazon's Manufacturer Center. And let's say that you're a reseller of products on Amazon. You might be wondering if there are 10 other resellers or even 100 others, which is often the case with many products, who gets to choose the product data that appears? So it turns out if nobody has claimed that Amazon brand registry, what happens is Amazon's algorithm sort of intelligently choose every one of those data points. Um, what we've seen and, and has been confirmed to us by, by Amazon is the way it works is they basically try, they do massive A-B test experiments on their side, trying out different data points from different merchants who are selling the same product. Things such as title, description, specifications, and they even images, of course. And they basically try um, all the split variants to see which ones perform better. But what's interesting is Amazon is going to be doing that on their own behalf, right? Not necessarily on every individual retailer's behalf. Um, to try to boost Amazon's global revenue or whatever performance benchmarks they're trying to achieve. But the one exception to that is if you claim your Amazon brand registry. So just like with Google Manufacturer Center, you have to be approved for it. You need to apply for it, get whitelisted. 
And it is, it is kind of an annoying process that can take up to a week to get approved for. But once you do, just like on Google Manufacturer Center, it gives you unfettered control to your product data. So as the manufacturer or brand owner, you get to choose what are the images that appear for this product, what are the features, the specifications, and of course, critically, the title as well. Um, on Amazon, what's interesting is the features and specifications have a lot more weight um, than they do on Google for relevancy, but also what people actually see on the product landing pages. Um, I know I myself am super guilty of always reading the features and specifications just to make sure before I purchase the product. But because Google, by its very nature, is leading people, at least for now, uh, before they launch shopping actions, more fully, right now they're leading people to retailer websites. They don't really feature the specifications in Google Shopping results, unlike Amazon, which strongly features them. So if you get control over the brand registry, you have a really, really nice real estate to basically do with what, what you want in a way that features your products differently than anyone else, any competitors, or even any of your resellers who may not have all the right info or have all those rich specifications they might want to feature. Yeah, and and you know, enhanced brand content, which is what you're talking about, you know, that that's all predicated on on being brand registered. So adding adding videos and rich content to your listing, which can make a huge difference. You know, you got to be brand registered to be able to do that. While we're on the Amazon topic, what are some feed tips or suggestions or considerations that are unique to Amazon? So we already talked kind of you know titles and set it and forget it, which. Uh, kind of applies to to both and specifically Google Shopping. But what are some specific tips for Amazon? The first one that I would recommend beyond, you know, applying for the brand registry and, and checking your titles and making sure they're optimized is actually checking to see that all of your products are in fact listed on Amazon. And this is a super easy check. Um, if you're doing bulk listing uploads, you can basically download an error report and see uh, why many of your products might not be on there because if, if your top sellers uh, were unable to get listed, you're obviously shooting yourself in the foot. Um, the one exception to that, of course, is sometimes Amazon's error reporting is very complicated and difficult to understand. And that, that's usually because Amazon's listing templates are a little bit different than Google's or Facebook's or most other price comparison channels. Um, what Amazon requires is they require parent and children to be listed in, in the templates, both, Whereas, which uh, is different than Google, for example, which only requires the children to be listed or to have a parent-only feed. But um, Amazon is a little bit different in that respect because it has variation themes that allow you to do some really cool things like have all the children listed on a parent page. So if you sell t-shirts, you'll have all the variations of colors and sizes appearing. But those can be very complicated to list, especially when you're working with some of the more common e-commerce platforms like Shopify, Magento, BigCommerce, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, all of those guys. So it can be sometimes very difficult to actually list products successfully. But I would say that's that's one of my top tips, just making sure that all of your products are, in fact, listed on the marketplace of choice. The other tip that I would say is, and this relates to one of the most important things on Amazon, which is the buy box. I'm sure if you're selling on Amazon, you've at least heard of it. Uh, most people use it. In fact, um, from what we've seen, approximately 80 to 90 percent of all Amazon purchases happen in that buy box which is very interesting. It's a very interesting metric because if you're not in the buy box, that means 
you've kind of limited yourself to the 10% of shoppers who are probably more price conscious, who are really just looking to get the best deal or perhaps looking to buy a used item. And that's not great because you've sort of cut yourself off from 90% of purchasers. Um, but there are a few things you can do to help gain the buy box or help ensure that you'll at least have a good chance of getting it. And of course, Amazon's algorithms, just like Google's, aren't exactly public domain. Um, but what we've seen be incredibly useful in, in trying to secure the buy box for as many products as you can is price and your your gener more generally your seller health uh, dashboard. So price is sort of an obvious one because Amazon wants to give consumers the best prices in many cases. Um, obviously, you can sometimes be competitive with Amazon if they're selling the same products as well. But price is one of the biggest factors. We've seen through extensive testing on Amazon uh, by having the cheapest price. And if you have a generally good seller ratings, if you have a generally um, good a good seller health dashboard as well, meaning a low cancellation rate, meaning low order defects, you're going to have a pretty good chance of being in the buy box um, just by virtue of having the lowest price. But of course, how do you ensure you're doing that, right? That's also an interesting challenge because if you're selling maybe 10 products, you can probably log into Amazon Seller Central and update your pricing, you know, a couple times per day, reduce your price by a penny and, and sort of see what the competitive landscape is. But if you're selling thousands or tens of thousands of products on Amazon, all of a sudden, uh, you know, doing that at scale is a massive, massive problem. So we've actually created a repricer for Amazon specifically that allows you to create logic that you'd want to ensure that you're in control of the buy box. So if, for instance, if you're not in control of the buy box, you can keep lowering your product's price by a penny until you are. And you can also add rules to ensure that you're still profitable. Um, and once you get in control of the buy box, you can actually, interestingly enough, raise your prices by a penny or by a set amount until you sort of are no longer in control of it and keep applying that feedback loop to ensure that you are in control of it. So prices is one of the key things to getting the to getting that, assuming everything else is working. And you might be wondering, well, how do I you know, ensure everything else in terms of ratings, in terms of low order defect rate, in terms of cancellation rate? How do I ensure that's working properly? Um, so that's an interesting challenge as well. And of course, that problem is only exacerbated if you're selling in multiple places at the same time. Like, let's say you're selling on your website, you're selling on Walmart, you're selling on eBay and on Amazon. So the question is, how do you fulfill those orders really quickly to ensure the buyer gets their shipment as quickly as possible? So that's an interesting challenge. Um, obviously, you could approach it manually by having someone on your team or yourself logging into every one of those seller centrals multiple times a day. But that in and of itself can be a full-time job and not necessarily the most fun thing in the world. Um, so what we've created is a way to pull back orders from any marketplace and syndicate it into your e-commerce platform. So you can fulfill those orders as if it came you know, directly from your Shopify or your big commerce website. And then once you fulfill those orders with a tracking number, we immediately send it back to Amazon or whatever marketplace it originated from. And what that does is it helps cut down on the lag time. And that, of course, boosts you know, your uh your scores for order defect rates, cancellation rates, as well as shows Amazon through you know, some kind of a signal that 
you're fulfilling these orders really quickly, which of course will help the likelihood that you'll show up in the buy box. Again, assuming that you have good pricing and that you have you know a, a great uh, review score and so on. But we found that those are two of the biggest things that are critical, price and just overall order and seller health of your dashboard. So those are two really, really useful things and and tips that I would say are, are critical for Amazon. Yeah, that's awesome. And then two things that you guys have addressed uh, with your platform, which which is really cool. And and yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, to own the buy box, I mean, a lot of it does come down to price. You know, if you had to pick just one area, it would be it would be price. Those other elements are important as well. But you know, it's kind of one of those things of hey, if you if you don't if you're not testing that. And and if you don't have some kind of profit thresholds in place, then then are you really maximizing your efforts, or are you winning the buy box but but losing money on each sale, or you know are are you missing the buy box when you could be getting it with just a few tweaks? So uh, love what you guys have built there. Uh, love that tool. So that that's awesome. Want to shift gears here just a little bit, kind of as we as we uh, enter the the final segment of of the show. You know, a lot of our listeners are advertising heavily on Facebook. And one of the most successful ad formats on Facebook, of course, is dynamic product ads and specifically using those for remarketing. And so, you know, your, your tool also builds Facebook product feeds, which, which, is, which is huge. Um, talk about uh, those, some, some of the things that make, the, some of the ways your tool makes Facebook feeds easier and better. What's kind of interesting about Facebook is they're they're relatively new to the to the space of using feeds, um, and the space when they first launched about uh, a year and a half, two years ago, was incredibly unsaturated. So the costs, the CPAs were ridiculously low, and what we saw by and the everybody is was, feeling the pain now. That's like a constant thing that I hear. You know, everyone yeah. is bemoaning <laughs> the increasing cost of. Facebook ads, and it just kind of happens, right? I mean, it, it, that, that's what a maturing platform does is the prices go up. But, but anyway, I'll let you continue. It's really similar to what happened on Google Shopping yes. as well. When, <laughs> when Frugal became Google Shopping and there were a bunch of retailers who just didn't want to do it because now it was paid. Um, but we, we see the exact same thing with Facebook, where as it gets more mature, it will get more expensive. So the things that, that I would recommend for Facebook First and foremost is to look at the live preview tool. Make sure that the ads are appearing in a way that you want them to appear. Um, Facebook is kind of notorious, especially in certain verticals, for requiring square images. And the way it works is if you're selling dresses, for example, which kind of have a portrait um, image size where the uh, height is longer than the uh, width, what happens is um, Facebook might automatically be decapitating some of your, your products where they cut it off or they crop it in a place that is really unflattering. And you can imagine it from the user's perspective when they see these images that used to be rectangular and portrait that are now being uh, made into a square. There's either um, space on the right and left hand sides that might be the wrong color that might appear you know, just kind of weird. And you can imagine it from the user's point of view where if they see the head has been literally truncated from the image or that there's weird uh, background effects going on or the images just don't look nice or don't look right, they're probably not going to click on it. Yeah, what if it cuts, cuts off the top straps of the dress or something or the bottom of the dress, which is a really important part, you know, then then maybe I'm not as likely to, to click on it. And, and one just quick note I'll add 
you know, one of the things that we always do for our clients, if if we find a product that's not performing well, let's just take Google Shopping as an example, but this would apply in other areas. If, we, if there's a product that, that's maybe a, a top seller, but for whatever reason, it's just not selling in Google Shopping, you know, one of the things we'll look at is image. How is the picture showing up? Because uh, a lot of times it comes down to either the price is off or something's messed up with the image and so it's not clear what, what the product is. Or it could be like a keyword product mismatch. But but the image is a big deal and that's going to impact impact you on, on Facebook as as well. So, so yeah, uh, continue. Yeah, that's, that's key. Image is, is so critically important because we see it with our eyes first before we see the price, before we see the title. And it's, it's almost like human nature to immediately remember, oh yeah, I've, I've looked at that product, but if it's not the product uh, that you remember because something has been truncated or it's low resolution or it has weird things going on with the sides, you're probably just gonna pass over it. So it's really critical to have good images on Facebook. And we've, we've solved that in a couple of ways because most of the time, if you have these portrait images, um, they're not going to appear as square, so you're going to have these weird cropping effects. But what we've been able to do is add image padding that takes sort of the existing background and extends it, and we can apply blurs or cool effects to actually solve some of those problems inside of Feedonomics, specifically for Facebook and, by extension, Instagram ads as well. Um, so that's a cool way to solve some of those really annoying problems that you can't really otherwise do unless you you know, Photoshop the images one by one, which anyone can tell you is not not that much fun to do. Yeah, to, to say the least. Yeah, so you either then struggle with, I've got images that are not optimal and that are likely suppressing conversions and I just live with it because the, the pain of fixing it is too great. Uh, or, you know, yeah, I, I spend a ton of time and resources Photoshopping and, and, you know, fixing each image, which is which is really painful. And then the other piece of feedback I'd have uh, for Facebook specifically is ensuring that the way that you link products on your landing pages uh, to the actual content that shows up in Facebook dynamic product ads is in fact the same. So if someone looks at a blue dress, for example, you don't want to default to the red dress because that's the first image that loads on the parent page. You want to make sure that your IDs and your image links are linked very, very precisely in your feed, as well as in the pixels that you put on your landing page. Um, I've seen that as a really common issue, even across retailers who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per month just in Facebook alone on the remarketing portion and seeing that they're not getting great performance because they're not showing the exact same product that someone looked at or potentially even clicked add to cart for. So that's, that's a really critical one and in a similar fashion, Make sure that your titles don't necessarily have to be the exact same as the landing page uh, that the person viewed them on originally, but that they, in fact, have some kind of semblance of very rich titles. Because on Facebook, you don't really see the description, you don't really see the specifications, but you do see the title. So instead of just saying Air Max 2018, you, you want to make sure that the same kinds of things that you would have done for Google, you would also do for Facebook. So you'd have brand, color, size, and nouns to remind someone that you know they did in fact view this product because they might have viewed it a few weeks ago, they might have viewed it a month ago, and you want to make sure that you know they see the exact same thing they looked at, and that you're as descriptive as possible to remind them uh, that this is in fact what they saw, and of course that'll help on the performance side. And you know I think one one thing that happens uh, is you know 
dynamic product ads, especially for remarketing, it just works. It works pretty well if, if you're not trying. And so then merchants just kind of get into the mode where, yeah, it's working okay. We're getting a good return on ad spend. Let's just keep cranking. But you know, they're missing a few pieces and then they're not fully understanding that if they optimize their efforts, you know, they can maybe go from a 500% return ad spend to a 900% or something for remarketing and, and so leaving, leaving money on the table there, which is, which is never good. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, kind of the, the final topic, let's, let's look at Walmart really quickly. And, and, you know, this is, this is definitely newer in terms of the Walmart marketplace. You know, a lot of our clients are at least dabbling in Walmart and and trying it out. But from your perspective, because I know you guys have done quite a bit on the Walmart platform, what are some of the things that are surprising there? And, and what are you seeing in general with, with the Walmart marketplace right now? Yeah, Walmart is a very interesting one. Um, we we kind of got started with them as soon as they uh, sort of released their APIs and we're actually a Walmart partner. And what's kind of been interesting in the process is to see that evolution of, of Walmart.com shift from, you know, what you'd expect from going to physical Walmart retail stores to something that has a whole life of its own. Um, Walmart has been making crazy acquisitions. They bought uh, Jet.com, they bought Moose Jaw, they bought uh, Chewy and Bonobos. And what's kind of interesting is they're positioning themselves farther away from just a typical Walmart, you know, retail store. And they even have luxury brands on there now, fashion brands, which is something like no one would have necessarily expected a couple of years ago. Um, but as such, it's a very interesting new new marketplace. Their fees in general are lower than Amazon, but because they're less mature, in many ways it is it is much harder to actually work with Walmart. Um, there's a more lengthy approval process to become a seller. They're very selective about who they approve. And what's kind of interesting about it is the integrations are also more complex. Walmart, of course, is a great, if you're finding success in Amazon, it's an almost a natural place that you'd want to go to to see if you can increase sales on yet another marketplace channel. But the other interesting aspect is Walmart is actually doing Google Shopping on behalf of its merchants. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing that a lot with our clients where where you know the, all of a sudden their Walmart listing takes off and they realize, oh. Yeah, Walmart's paying for Google Shopping ads for that product, which is awesome. It's really interesting because on the one hand, it may be competitive to you if you're also selling on your website. But on the other hand, it's almost like they're paying to acquire you customers if you're selling on Walmart. So it's definitely something that I would say you should at least test uh, by signing up for it. See if you get approved and try listing some of your top sellers manually to see if it's something that's worth, you know, a full on getting all of your products listed there and automating perhaps your order fulfillment side of things. But it is one of the new um, and very interesting channels that we've seen a lot of clients succeed in, uh, in particular with the uh, home goods space, with uh, fashion and apparel, which I wouldn't have expected, you know, a couple of years ago. And also for electronics, um, I can tell you anecdotally, because I've seen a lot of the office purchases that we make um, at Feedonomics, and we never used to buy from Walmart.com before probably about last year. But all of a sudden, maybe 20 to 25% of all of our office purchases, such as laptops and monitors and just you know normal office equipment, is coming from Walmart. So it's a really interesting new channel um, that you know obviously is trying to dethrone Amazon and giving them some pretty serious competition. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. 
And I'm glad they're doing it. You know, they, they, I think Walmart is one of the only serious competitors that, that could potentially keep pace with, with Amazon just because of the, the, you know, the sheer amount of cash they have behind them. And I, I want to underscore a couple of things you said, though. You know, some people may look at the Walmart marketplace and think, uh, think of the stigma of the Walmart buyer, right? I was actually on, on ESPN. I think it was ESPN. I was looking at uh, the LeBron James trade or, or uh, his move to the Lakers. I was looking at some of that news and uh, noticed one of those articles on, you know, 25 funny pictures of people shopping in Walmart, right? So it's all the, the weird and and craziness that happens at, at a Walmart uh, retail store. And so I, I think we may be tempted to think that's what the online Walmart shopper is like. And that's not necessarily true, right? The, the more affluent products can be sold online at Walmart, that same stigma does not necessarily apply there. So I think that that's important to look at. And then, yeah, fully agree with you, you know, test it, test it with a few products and see how it goes. And then, and then look to, to scale and build from there because just, just like with anything else, you know, you don't want all of your eggs in the Amazon basket uh, and, in any viable marketplace you should consider. And, and Walmart is definitely one of those. So Brian, as we wrap up, man, that, that was phenomenal. Thank you for your insight and your knowledge. And so for people that have been listening and thinking, man, I need my, my Google shopping fees to be better. I need to think about what I'm doing on Amazon or Walmart. And this Brian guy knows what he's talking about. How can they connect with you? How can they find out more about Feedonomics? Either go to feedonomics.com or email me personally, uh, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at feedonomics.com. And I'll be happy to help out. Awesome. So I will link to Feedonomics in the show notes as well. So if it's easier for you just to go to ecommerceevolution.com, go there. There'll be a link to uh, to Feedonomics. And, and so any kind of any quick thing you'd want to say about Feedonomics in general, I think people have gotten a good flavor as, as we've been talking about these different topics seeing how feedonomics can help, but, but who, who have you guys really designed feedonomics for, you know, so for someone out there that's just kind of wondering, Hey, should I keep doing my feed on my own versus should I check out feedonomics? You know, who, who is this for? Yeah, absolutely. I would say feedonomics is for automating some of those most annoying manual things that you, you would have to do, you know, either on a per product basis inside of Excel or Google sheets or when you start to get onto multiple marketplaces and advertising channels where all of a sudden it's not really tenable to have to create a new specification for each and every one, or if you're selling across Amazon, Walmart, and eBay, it suddenly becomes this really, really annoying chore to have to do each and every one of them separately. So we automate a lot of that by inserting the orders into retailer stores and posting back the tracking information to all those marketplaces. So I would say if you're annoyed at all by any of the tasks that you have to do manually, that's why we created Feedonomics to have this really powerful full service offering with 24-7 support where we can help with any feed issues you have and help you scale to lots of new advertising channels, affiliate channels and marketplaces. Fantastic. Really good stuff. You know, feeds are essential. This whole process, getting data flowing both ways, it's all important. And uh, yeah, frustration and annoyance, that that kind of sums up what it's like to do some of this stuff manually. So Feedonomics, check it out. Brian Royzen, ladies and gentlemen. Brian, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Brad. Really appreciate it too. Yep. Enjoyed it. And so as always, 
Uh, we'd love to hear feedback from you. So what topics would you like us to dive into? Uh, give us feedback on these episodes. If you love this show, which I hope you do, we would love your review on iTunes. That does help other people discover the show. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.